Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, or should I say, grüß Gott aus München, Gegenpressing. Um, I'm your host Manuel Feit and I am in Munich. Uh, and I'm as always joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yes, I'm doing very well, even though I'm not in Munich, which is always a disappointment for me. It, it, it's sad you're not here. Uh, one of these days, we, we need to do one of these Bundesliga trips together. Um, very lucky this, <laughs> this, this weekend, Stefan, that the DFL organized a trip to see the Revier Derby and then Union Berlin, which was a ton of fun. But obviously, I missed you. Uh, you were not on it. So, yeah. <laughs> It's half the fun gone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we can arrange a gig in pressing weekend away at some point. This needs to happen. We used to do um, Chris and Chris Williams, of course, who everyone who listens to the show knows, and I used to mm. do these quite regularly. And uh, it's time. I think in the spring, Stefan, we need to do mm. a gig pressing trip through Germany. Yeah, it's just- it's just so busy right now because we, yeah. we were talking about this before we came on the podcast about Champions League games and trying to get to those and mm. so condensed at the moment. But hopefully after the World Cup maybe gets out of the way, we can start getting into the more spirit of it all and getting out to games and Chris yeah. can be there. And there's, there's also a lot of other Bundesliga writers that you know we'd love to have on the show as well. So mm. probably try and get them on as well because it's always good to get a fresh perspective. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, this is just manic uh from here till november we're getting a little bit of a breather um before we dive into the main show just want to mention this one more time this is the regular show um you're getting a show behind the paywall if you are a subscriber if you're not well you should get on that and um we're not doing a prediction show this this week because there's no match day because there's an international break stefan you will be going on your much deserved honeymoon finally and yes, I will. I am spending a week in Vienna, where I may take in the Canada International uh, that is in Bratislava against Uruguay, um, mm. but that's not to do with this podcast. So yeah. Um, so I then should, we should also maybe just say, like, if you are considering taking a subscription, it's worth bearing in mind that this week's bonus podcast is going to be a mailbag mm-hmm. um, podcast. So we have asked you know subscribers to send us our questions. And we've already got thirteen before what? we before we record tomorrow morning. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big one. <laughs> wow, that's, I haven't seen all of them yet, so I I need to probably study a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a big show. Uh, it's gonna be a very big show. So yeah, take out a subscription. Uh, it helps with everything we do, including going on trips, uh, producing content, and all that sort of stuff. So it really helps. Um, yeah, so it's we have a ton to discuss this week. Um, we should probably get started um, right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager 
on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, Combat Sports, Esports, and even Golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, BLEAV50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So, I'm pretty sure we're going to target a ton of questions about this, Stefan. A ton. Hmm. Absolutely a million questions at least. Here's my prediction on that. But um, I cracked up yesterday at dinner. It's Oktoberfest in Munich for the first time um, in three years. It's for anyone who is from Munich. And I'm not going to lie. It's one of the main reasons I did the trip at this time of the year because it's Oktoberfest. But <laughs> the picture that Bill put up yesterday... <laughs> The Griesenwiesentisch. Oh, nur eine lächelt. Only one is smiling. And that was Nagelsmann's wife, who <laughs> happens to work for the very outlet that printed that picture. Uh, not wife, I should say girlfriend. I was going uh, to say, if I missed, <laughs> if I missed something. It's, uh... Uh, they're, still, they're not married yet, but like, she was the only one smiling and she used to work for Bild. Uh, Bild is enjoying this moment, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I mean... There was a famous thing that I once said on a show when we first started, and that was right around the time uh, with Carlo Ancelotti. And I said, when Carlo Ancelotti and Thomas Muller fell out, I said, the Christmas tree will be on fire in Munich. It's safe to say the the Christmas tree is on fire at Mun in Munich. <laughs> 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 it's September, and the Christmas tree is truly burnt down. Um, wow. Four games in a row without a win. Yeah. It's quite something. Um, that Augsburg game was just absolutely nuts. Um, I had one eye on it when I was watching the Dortmund match. And, you know, it's just kind of more of the same that we're, we are getting from um, Bayern. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, you know, we've already kind of talked about it a lot on the podcast before um, in terms of, you know, the way that, Bayern have kind of changed their kind of tactics this season um, and how, in my opinion, the club has undoubtedly pivoted to a very strong emphasis on the Champions League. Mm -hmm. um, and I think both of those things are kind of playing a part here. You know, I kind of, we talked about this a few weeks ago about how I felt like the team that Nagelsmann had put together for this season was was a quite untraditional Bayern team in the sense that not only did it not have a number nine, but it was also kind of designed to take on better teams in the Champions League because mm. you know they can counterattack very quickly. They've got more kind of more players to kind of break with speed, um, and they can obviously press teams a lot more because they don't have like a number nine who, let's be honest. Lewandowski wasn't always the biggest presser. Um, so it kind of felt like a, they've gone through an evolution in that regard. But, and, and to be fair, we saw them do a good job of that against Inter Milan 
Now, the, mm. but the, the, the downside to that is, and we, we talked about it at the time, that it also means that um, they don't have that proven um, method of basically just hammering teams, pushing them back into their own box, mm. and then just providing enough service. And eventually, you know, Robert Lewandowski will get on the end of it. And, Thomas Muller kind of said this after the match on Saturday that he's already noticing a few times this season when he swings a ball into the back post or a quick through ball to the back post. And that's obviously where he spent so many years expecting Lewandowski to tap it in and there's nobody there. And, you know, you get you contrast that with the images of Sadio Mane literally running into him when they were both going to take a shot against Barcelona uh, in midweek. And, you know, it couldn't be a stronger contrast than fortunes uh, and I think this actually does kind of stack up statistically as well because when you look at the kind of expected goals that Bayern's forward players are putting together and the goals that they're scoring um, it's still very early days you know mm. we're only what seven games into the season so you know these kind of statistics haven't really gone through the the ringer in terms of you know being a fair proper average over the course of a long enough period of time but there's already some notable ones. For example, Sadio Mane's got three goals, but his expected goals are 4.5. Mm. Um, Thomas Muller has only got one goal, but his expected goals are 3.36. Uh, you also have Leroy Sani on two goals, but his expected goals are 3.01. You know, these aren't huge numbers, but they are kind of indicative of the fact that I've had a lot of Bayern fans in my mentions, at least two or three this weekend, saying, you know, why is it that goalkeepers keep turning up against us? And <laughs> the question, you can you can kind of flip that to one side and say, yeah, well, maybe all these goalkeepers are, si- are suddenly decided. Maybe they all met up pre-season and said, right, guys, let's really make sure we put an effort in against Bayern Munich. Or you're seeing a case of Bayern Munich having three or four forward players who just aren't very clinical in front of goal. And I, th- and I still go back to that Gladbach game yeah. when I got... I got a huge amount of stick on Twitter and even from some of our listeners and subscribers who got in touch after the match because I said, or after the podcast, because I said, even though Bayern racked up a huge XG over the course of 90 minutes, there weren't a number of, there wasn't a huge amount of excellent finishing in that game. And, you know, I mean, we argued with people, I we argued back, with people I'm, on Twitter about this. Yeah. Sorry, continue. I, I back you up on that 100% because I remember seeing that video with the, the 19 chances that Bayern had. And I was like, okay, like 16 or 17 of those were right on summer. Hmm. That's hard. That's harsh. That's a high number. But you know what I mean, right? Like hmm. there was maybe two in there was like, wow, that's a good save. But the rest I'm like, as a former goalkeeper, I'm like, thankful, thankful, thankful. Oh, that's a nice one. Okay, I'm going to make look this good. Thankful, thankful, thankful. Wow, wow, that's hard. And then like, you know, it continues that way. Like, which kind of backs up what you're saying, right? Like mm. they're getting into the right positions, but the finishing hasn't been great. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's just kind of the downside, I guess, to what they decided to do this summer. They had mm. arguably the best finisher in European football up front, and they swapped him for Sadio Mane, who has always been a good player for Liverpool, but he hasn't ever been the most clinical player for Liverpool. And if Chris Williams is on the podcast right now, he'd probably quite happily say that Manny routinely goes through long periods of not scoring goals for Liverpool. And he mm. 
is still valued, or at least he was still valued in that Liverpool team because of the hard work he put in, the way that he played well with with Mohamed Salah, the way he set up goals. Um, but the concern here is that that's not enough for Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich aren't the kind of team, or aren't the kind of fan base or club that um, excuse a striker for not scoring goals if he's putting in the hard work off the ball. It's just it's just not good enough. No, it's not, which is why they're going to sign a striker next summer. <laughs> I've been bugging you about this on WhatsApp, so you know what's coming next. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, I had to sit down with, you know, everyone has the golden source that they trust because they came through that with them with every time with very good information. And uh, this person just looked at me when I had lunch with them in, in Dortmund and he's like, when Salihamidzic says that he's going after a certain player or it gets leaked that he's going after a certain player, he will do everything he can to go after a certain player. He did it with Sadio Mane and he's now going to do it with Harry Kane next. If there is mm-hmm. a chance, and it's not, not saying it's going to happen because obviously Harry Kane might do the same with Bayern and he did it with Man City, right? And... um simply snap them because he doesn't want to go anywhere else. Um, but everything that you read about um, Bayern having contact with his agent, I think his brother, right? Mm. Um, that's true. That's happening. Um, there is talks with, you know, him uh, and the club that, you know, of the possibilities of making this happen. And Salihamidzic is just being very adamant of trying to get something like that done. Um, of course, it's early days, and that's not going to help Bayern Munich at all <laughs> until next summer. But I, I think my indications of everything that I'm hearing from people that I really trust is that if the door opens and Harry Kane is ready and willing to go somewhere else and try it out, Bayern Munich will be there and they will get it done. Yeah, it's really interesting this one because, you know, on paper, you can understand why Harry Kane would be interested to move to Bayern Munich. Um, you know, the Man City move's been blocked off because they got Erling Haaland. Uh, can't see him going to Chelsea. Um, Man United is too tricky. Arsenal's too tricky. Mm. He's not. Can't, can't imagine Newcastle would be too appealing to him. He wants a club that will undoubtedly be challenging for titles because this would be like his last roll of the dice for his career um, as a top-class player because he'd be looking at that Champions League, he'd be looking at league titles that he wants to win. Um, Real Madrid are maybe one option because obviously they're still looking for a long-term replacement to Benzema, so it'd be interesting to see if they kind of roll into this kind of transfer saga to see if they get step in, but only because they're in the exact same position as Bayern Munich, where they, yeah. they're they one of the few super clubs who challenge for the Champions League regularly that have a big hole in the number nine position. And so on that side, it does make plenty of sense. But I'm also worried from a Bayern Munich point of view that this kind of goes the way of the Erling Haaland rumours last year, where mm. you know there was some excellent reporting from within Germany saying Bayern Munich are undoubtedly interested in Erling Haaland. They've reached out to him. They've reached out to his people. Uh, you know, he's had a medical in Munich, blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't obviously mean that they'll be able to get a deal over the line. 
And in the meantime, all it does is piss off the players who are already at the club because yeah. while Harry Kane at this moment in time seems like a smart addition to this Bayern team, if that rumour just rumbles on until next summer, all it's going to do is piss off Sadio Mane. It's all only going to do is piss off Serge Gnabry, uh, even Leroy Sané, who may consider himself a striker in that team. And, you know, it's not going to be doing that team any favours, even if it is something that maybe in the long term they could use. Um, mm-hmm. And then even, even on top of that, sorry, just to continue, like, I still feel like it, it it kind of completely contradicts what Bayern were trying to do this summer. They obviously went in a clear direction to go with a striker-less formation. Um, mm. And, you know, if Nagelsmann and Stanley sat down and said, right, this is the way we want to play our game. We want to play without a traditional striker because it's the modern way of playing the game. It's how we can get at teams like Man City uh, or Liverpool in the last stage of the Champions League. Um if at this point of the season, then we're only a few months in. Sally Hamovich has already said, "All right, that didn't work. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to spend the next eight months on the phone to Tottenham trying to sign their striker." It's a huge issue for Nagelsmann because it's basically saying to him, "I don't trust that your formation is going to work in the long run." Yeah, uh, a couple of things on that, and I think we need to talk about Nagelsmann in a moment, anyways. But. Um... <laughs> A little, a little bit. <laughs> the easy solution is just get rid of the head coach as well. No, I mean, like, I'm not going there quite yet. But uh, Nagelsmann did make comments that he would like Harry Kane during the Bayern US tour. And uh, Antonio Conte, rightfully, was not very happy about that. Remember that? Hmm. So I, I do think that this is maybe something... It might actually be one of the few things the bosses and Nagelsmann agree on right now. I think Nagelsmann has this put on this facade of, oh, it's actually so great that we don't have strikers because now I can test out all the stuff. But he said that when it was things were going well. Mm-hmm. He hasn't said something like that since. And, you know, because things aren't going well. They're going well in the Champions League. I, I thought uh, Robin Gosen's comments uh, today that Inter Milan felt like they, they when they were playing against Bayern, it felt like it was a different level entirely. And I, I, I just wonder if this team is actually perfect for the Champions League, but in the Bundesliga, it just doesn't work because Bundesliga teams, after us complaining about it for a full season, are finally switching their tactics against Bayern. They're playing with like a compact three, five in midfield, right? They're mm. really limiting the players in, in their attacking options and they're really hurting Bayern. And there's also a little bit of a lack of respect maybe because there isn't a number nine that they have to watch all the time. So I think that the, the game in the Bundesliga is just changing a little bit. and It's not changing in Bayern's favor. Hmm. But I also think that there is an internal struggle here, and this is my transition to Nagelsmann, in terms of you have a 35-year-old head coach, right? Uh, I assume, I'm not 100% sure, but he would be the youngest man on the show if he was on, right? Between us? Yeah. No, I'm I'm still slightly younger. Slightly younger. Okay. So he's definitely younger than me. And um, what I was going to say is that throughout his entire career, he's never really had this cold wind blow in his face. And now it's happening at the biggest club, one of the biggest clubs in the world mm-hmm. that happened to have spent 25 million euros to sign him from Leipzig. It's a mind-boggling sum. I mean, that's more than what Chelsea paid for Graham Potter, 
right? Mm. And Premier League teams pay a lot of lot high fees for for coaches, much more though. Although the Bundesliga is quite high up there as well, so I shouldn't say that. We actually have a list on Transfermarkt, right, where we list them, and I think there's quite a lot of Bundesliga coaches on there. But it's a lot of money. Hmm. But that might give him a little bit of leeway. But I have a sense that for the first time in his life, he has to change the way he is because he's working in a club where despite him having such a large ego and character, there's other people that have an even larger ego and character. And if a picture could say a thousand words, I felt like that picture taken at the Oktoberfest, that's it. Like, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. you have Oliver Kahn purposefully not smiling. Like, he's he's hiding a smile. Let's be honest here. We all can see it. It's a line in his face. You know, there's that smiley with just a line. That's Oliver Kahn. Even <laughs> Salih Hamidzic, he's always has like a tiny smile on his face. Even he's trying to hide it. Uh, <laughs> Nagelsmann is like half in shadow in that picture mm. um, his girlfriend, not his wife, his girlfriend is laughing because she works for Build she probably thinks it's all great but um, it's the first time in his life he's being confronted with the situation in fact it's like the first time in his career too that he has to go to Oktoberfest as a Bayern coach and that is so much media attention right mm. Um and in the first year or so, he, he didn't have that because of COVID. And now it's all coming at him. It's all coming at him at the highest speed possible with all the media attention, with the Oktoberfest visit. Things are not going well. It's the longest non-winning streak since, what, 2001, 2002, right? Mm. It's the worst start since 2011, 12, I think. This is his a first full-blown crisis for him. And I think... The other th- aspect, and I'm almost done, um, is that all of a sudden there's Thomas Tuchel available as well. Mm. So there's so much unraveling right now at the moment. It's like a perfect storm. And I think that's extremely difficult for him. Yeah, you know, you basically took the words right out from my mouth there when you mentioned Thomas Tuchel. And I think that's the that just sums up the different kind of situation he's in now. Um, you know, obviously at Hoffenheim and RB Leipzig, he could, he could basically walk around being the cock of the walk, you know, in the sense that he could do what he wanted, he could experiment, and at the end of the day, these clubs, although they mumbled and grumbled if the form did take a nosedive, they were never going to sack him. But at Bayern Munich, there's always another head coach that can step in. And Mm. in Thomas Tuchel, you know, you not only have um, an excellent head coach there, but you have one who has specifically proven himself to be great at winning the Champions League from what he did at Chelsea. Mm. And if Bayern Munich are fixated on winning another, another European, European Cup long before they, you know, go for their 20th Bundesliga title, um, Thomas Tuchel was a very appealing option there. And like you said, I completely agree with you in that regard in terms of you know, how that completely changes the dynamic of the power, the hold that Nagelsmann usually has on these clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the only thing that really comes down to is whether Tuchel would be interested in that Bayern Munich job, which would be very interesting. I, I, I saw the links to him this in the weekend and I really wasn't sure whether to say, you know, whether I thought it was a crazy idea or maybe a perfect idea because... You know, I think we talked about this in a recent show about Tuchel in the sense that, or maybe, in fact, I wasn't. I was talking to someone on Twitter about it. I was saying that, mm. you know, he has this reputation for being a kind of problematic and troublesome head coach, but 
if you actually flip the perspective on his career, he's actually been in charge of three of the most volatile clubs at the top of European football. Mm. Dortmund, Dortmund have been a basket case since Jurgen Klopp left. I'm mm. sorry, but that's an oversimplification, but it's a, I think it's a fair one. Um, PSG, bit of a circus themselves, obviously. And then, of course, Chelsea, who are famous uh, for, for chopping head coaches as soon as things they yeah. hit a stumble, uh, uh, as soon as they hit a, a, a you know a stumble in the road. So I did think I then suggested, well, you know, until he finds a, a club uh, that are quite happy to just kind of sit back and let him work in the long term, we'll never really know what kind of head coach he could be, and maybe that's something that a club like Bayern Munich can offer. But um, at the same time, maybe he is that volatile head coach. Maybe he is that head coach that cannot help but come to blows with, you know, sporting directors and presidents. And after 18 months, those reputations are just red raw and they fall apart. And if that's the case, then him arriving at Bayern Munich would be like, you know, a lit fuse to, a lit match to a fuse or into a powder keg and it would just blow up in their face. So mm. it's a, it would be, it would be, <laughs> To borrow an expression from the popular Netflix docu series, is it would be all or nothing. Uh, I think if <laughs> if Bayern Munich were to, if Bayern Munich were to hire Thomas Tuchel, I love that. Um, I think it would be like walking. It, it it would be the same as it is now because um, Tuchel and Nagelsmann uh, of a generation of coaches where the pendulum of power swung towards them. Right within club hierarchies, or perceivedly swung towards them, or they feel like it should have swung with them. It's like the Pep Guardiola generation, right? And in fairness, Tuchel worked quite well with Roman Abramovich, and I mean he holds the record of being the only coach at Chelsea to survive Roman Abramovich, um, just to be sacked by a crazy American right after. But it's what what I'm trying to say is that. These guys all had these uh, perception of now the coaches are going to have more power within clubs. And it seemed almost like they were going to get that, but it seems to be swinging back towards the clubs having the power. And you see that, I think, right now. That's uh, that's one of the things that Bayern Munich did. They, they're very much saying, they're setting borders for Nagelsmann that he previously did not know. And I suspect mm. that if Tuchel would come in, it would be very much the same. And hmm. one of the reasons why Tuchel did fail at Dortmund is because he was trying to expand his powers and expand the boundaries in which he could work in. And the club said no. And then, of course, he went abroad where he did have more powers, um, only to find out eventually that, you know, the same is happening there now. Um, Todd Burley at, at Chelsea is very much trying to limit the powers, right? He's bringing in a traditional sporting director now. Whether that's mm. going to be Christophoind or not has, remains to be seen, but the case still stands that that's what's happening. And you know, at Bayern Munich, they had always had that infrastructure. So if Tuchel would come in, he would deal with the exact same things that Nagelsmann would deal, while being a very similar character. Mm. So. Yeah, one hundred percent. I completely agree. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens. Um, but I think for the time being, I think. Considering how much they spent on Nagelsmann, how much they invested in him and the squad, I think they're likely to stick around until um, yeah. 
performances in the Champions League fall apart. If mm-hmm. you know, if this group stage campaign suddenly takes a nosedive, or if it's a similar situation to last season when they get knocked out of the last sixteen, then I think Nagelsmann's in deep trouble. But until then, I don't really think anyone at Bayern Munich's freaking out at them being what? How far behind are they? They're only what five points behind Union Berlin. I don't think that's that's, that's not grudge to sack him. I don't think. It's three points behind Dortmund, which is the only thing that matters. Exactly. We will talk about Union Berlin and how amazing they are. Don't worry. And maybe they can go on a fairy tale run. I don't want to say no. But for them right now, that's not how I see it. It's how Bayern see it. The gap to Dortmund is what matters. Mm. And that's three points. And that's, in their eyes, is something that they can, um, they can bridge that gap, they feel. And um, we should probably talk about Dortmund. Because I did hear something crazy as well that if things do go bad with Aiden Terzic, um, here's what someone I know thinks, this person I also trust quite a lot, is that things do go bad with Terzic. He would probably just not get sacked, but just step back into a technical role again. <laughs> just accept that it doesn't work. And Dortmund could, under new sporting director, leadership actually patch up things with Tuchel and try to bring him back. Wow. I mean... No, that's all theoretics, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think bringing Tuchel back would be incredible. I think it'd be an outstanding move from Dortmund, but like you said, I think it would take a lot of people to accept that they were wrong a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, which I'm not quite sure the club are there yet, just yet. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Mm, it's also a tough rumor to put out after Dortmund have won the most emotional game that exists for them mm. uh, in probably the most emotional fashion. And I was at the Revier Derby, Stefan. Um, if you have not seen it live, oh. It puts a completely different perspective on it. I was glad my Signali Duna reflexes are still around. Like having worked games <laughs> there in the past, I know that whenever Dortmund score, you have to quickly lean over your laptop while your back takes up all the beer. <laughs> all the uh, other international colleagues that were with me at the game for the first time, maybe there were some laptops broken, let's say it that way. <laughs> um, but what I was trying to say is that this time Erdin Tezic did make come to the right conclusions and he did bring on the win from the bench. And I did speak to uh, Yusufa Mukoko after the game. Um, he was actually made available to the media, which is very seldom. And he has a mind of him because he's, you have to remember, he's only 17. But I actually thought the way he played when he came on and the difference he's made. And he's one of three players at one point out. I think you know what the other two is. But the way he played and the difference he's made, is it maybe just time to play Mukuku until Halea comes back? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because he did get a run of games to start of the season. And I wasn't crazy about his performances just because, um, you know, I, f- I felt like physically he wasn't really ready to be a traditional number nine um, mm. to hold the ball up. Uh, to allow players to play off him, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously at the time when, you know, I think this is possibly before Modest had signed, but it's just before he was, we knew he was coming. 
I thought, you know, Mendes kind of fits that role far better because he's obviously done it very well at Cologne. He's got the physicality for it. He's played as a target man for a number of years. Um, but since then, I've just been so incredibly disappointed in Mendes. Mm. Um, he was, again, anonymous in that match. Yeah, um, I think I tweeted at halftime that um, Wolf, as a makeshift left-back, had more touches of the ball in the Schalke box than Modest had. Uh, he had a decent header at the corner just before half-time, but I mean, in terms of open play, he was completely anonymous. And this isn't the first time. It's happened countless times. It happened in the Man City game as well, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And at times he almost plays, he's almost an infringement on that Dortmund attack because he's not off right. He can't do anything on the ball, can't link up with players. And I guess when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because the way that Dortmund front line works is they have to be very quick. They have to be very dynamic. It kind of drives me mad, but when they work well, it's when you have Marco Royce, it's when you have Jude Bellingham, it's when you have Julian Brandt kind of backheeling it and dumbing it and flicking balls to each other and I mean I think one of the biggest issues for Dortmund is that these players Brandt and dare I say it Marco Royce in particular are far too flowery shall I say in the in the final third uh, which is the way a former editor used to have a former boss I used to have used to describe when he wanted an article that was uh you know a little less serious and far more kind of imaginative. <laughs> He'd say, give me something a little more flowery, he would say. So I don't know why that has came to mind. That's just a typical typical Glasgow thing, I guess. Um that's how I describe kind of Royce and Brandt at times in the sense that they they, they pay they don't pay enough attention to the idea of holding on to the ball. But anyway, in terms of that, they need a they need a kind of quick pacey forward to play off or at least play in and when Mukuku came on in that game, you could see how much difference he made um, in terms of the runs he was making, in terms of just running towards goal. I don't know if it maybe because it coincided with Schalke being a bit more adventurous after the 60th minute, because they did so well to defend in the first half that they you could see that they were coming out in the second half and saying, do you know what, if we string a few passes together here, we might be able to steal this game. Um Maybe that coincided with Makoku being able to get more space in behind. So, but I think it did show that at times he can work very well in that front line as a more kind of classic number nine who just plays off the final man, the shoulders of the final defender, and just waits for balls to be played in. Um, but at the same time, like they surely can't do any worse than playing him up front over Modest at this point. Because, yeah. um, and you could maybe even flip it around and say perhaps Modest is actually better suited as coming off the bench mm. when things aren't working well. If Dortmund are really hemming a team in, you bring on Modest to try and win some crosses or some, you know, some swinging some balls into the box to him um, as a backup option. But yeah, yeah, I thought Makuka was very impressive. It was great to see him get that goal. You, see, you could see how much it meant to him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, hopefully he gets a run of games now. It, yeah, and uh, it sounds like he's getting a new contract. Um we were asked by his minder, I love using that word, not to ask about his contract situation, but um, he did speak about his time at Dortmund and how he loves working with Edin Tezic. And then he added, and I'm looking forward to working with Edin Tezic for a long time. Hmm. So we didn't even have to ask him, I think, that indicates that something is in the works. Um, but I, I thought he was excellent. Um uh, 
you know, he he made a difference um, when he came on. Karim Adeyemi too. He was another one I wanted to point out. I mean, the easy one to point out throughout the entire 90 minutes is Jude Bellingham. He is that team, uh, especially now with Marco Royce being injured, right? Mm. And um, the Marco Royce injury, <sighs> I, I was told it's what they call in German a benderis, um, which translates to a torn ligament. Uh, somehow Dortmund and people in the Marco Royce camp who I talked to, they think he's going to be fit in three to four weeks. Um, if they manage that, wow, that's some miracle cure. Um, but they're positive they can because a bender is, is a torn ligament. It's not a partial tear, it's a full tear. Mm-hmm. And anyone who had a full tear in his ankle knows that that takes a little longer than three to four weeks. But um, Yeah, I think I, the only other thing I'd add is I thought Daniel Mellon had a very good game as well. I was trying to get, go to get to him. Yes, oh, he was sorry. excellent. <laughs> but no, uh, you're, you're quite right. Like He was awesome. He, yeah. had the, he had the biggest chance after the Jude Bellingham chance in the first half. Mm. Tanked his way into the box. I, I swallowed it really well to save that. And I thought he was excellent too. And I think he would actually work in a system with Mukuku and Adeyemi up front better maybe than with Modeste. Yeah, absolutely. And I think someone put it really well to me on Twitter that he, they remind him a bit of a kind of young, almost like an Aryan Robin, but for the left wing in the sense that he's, yeah. he's got that speed... Uh, and he just has to kind of maybe work on those cutbacks uh, to score more goals, which is obviously something that Arjen Robin was world class at. So I think Malin's maybe some still some way off that, but finally begin to get glimpses of him this season, looking like the player that Dortmund signed last year. And it'll be really interesting to see if he can kind of go from strength to strength, and and maybe what went wrong in that first season because I remember writing about it last year, and kind of conclusion I came to was that. He was actually getting into some decent positions, mm. uh, but Erling Haaland just his gravitational pull just demanded everything in the box that you know Malin just didn't. He just simply wasn't again enough ball time in the final third. So that's obviously changed this year, and you can see how much he just loves running defenders when he gets the ball where he wants it with space to run into. So yeah, yeah, that's very encouraging for Dortmund, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I, I really liked him. Um, I had a great game. And I think overall, look, it's just a 1-0 victory against Schalke. But that was a difficult game. Schalke made it extremely difficult for them. And they did find they did find a solution in the end to win that game. And I think they can take a lot of momentum from that into the international break, of course, and then um, afterwards. Um, it's it, It's absolutely huge. That yeah. win. I mean, we really can't downplay it. We were talking on last week's pod about how, you know, if they lose that game, people might start getting really, really angsty as to what Terzic's yeah. role as club is. And it just goes to show how big a difference a week can be because I put out a stupid meme last night. Basically, <laughs> you know, I was like, if you haven't been following the Bundesliga at all this season, here's a quick summary of how it currently stands. And it's, it's that meme of the three or four guys fighting in the chip shop. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and in the background and in the foreground there's a guy just casually eating his chips and I was kind of saying like you know the guy eating his chips minding his own business is Union Berlin and the four guys in the background are Leverkusen, Bayern Munich, RB Leipzig and Dortmund and I had a few Dortmund fans respond saying how dare you we're not nearly as bad as Leverkusen or RB Leipzig and they were like look at the league table and I, w- I didn't really engage in it because you know it's Twitter and what's the point yeah. but I was like <laughs> have these guys forgotten that less than a week ago you know, there were huge question marks over Terzic. And if he had lost that game against Schalke, 
Um, Dortmund would be sitting sixth or like fifth or sixth right now. Yeah. You know, so it's it it just goes to show how much football, how quickly football can change. Um, yeah. And you know they've got a game against Cologne after the mid the international break, and if they win that, then yeah, they might be looking quite strong. And Terzic is 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 looking just fine for now. Mm, happy days for Dortmund at the moment. Um, let's talk about the guy who is minding his own business in a chip shop, and that's <laughs> on your own Berlin. <laughs> um, wow, I haven't. So Alte Försterei, I've been in the past. Um, this is my first time I've been at the stadium when they're, since they've been in the Bundesliga. And I mean, it's such an amazing amazing atmosphere and an amazing club an outstanding area of the town and the stadium is going to be huge when it's going to be expanded to 37,500 it's going to be even a bigger bigger place bigger better place and and what a story overall and and also this was my first time so not only experiencing the atmosphere in the, in the Bundesliga but it was also the first time I experienced Jordan and Geraldo Becker live in action and first of all, that Jordan kid, he's a <laughs> dirty, dirty player. And I mean this as a compliment. But boy, this is a dirty, dirty player. He he works extremely hard. Um, when he loses the ball, he wins it back. His defensive work as a striker is incredible. It's the most outstanding defensive work of, I've ever seen of a striker at this level. And mm. um, as Geraldo Becker is a gem. I mean, I, I wrote an article today on Transfermarkt they signed this guy for nothing, from yeah. out of Den Haag, for nothing. And he might be one of the most creative, fast attacking forwards in the, in the Bundesliga at the moment. Hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've kind of wrote my newsletter this week on Union Berlin. So by the time people listen to this podcast, it should be up on the website. So I can only urge people to have a look at that for my yeah. thoughts. But I was kind of thinking about this, about these two players who are doing so well in the Bundesliga. And without taking credit away from Union Berlin, what do you think about this idea that these two guys are proving my theory that no team in the Bundesliga actually knows how to defend? And hmm. we have a team in Union Berlin who are very well set up and they just simply have two good strikers who are taking advantage of kind of dizzy, def- dizzy defences every weekend. Well, that would explain that thread that was put together about Union Berlin's uh, XG. Um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that a lot of stats like XG are, are useful, but they don't always give you the full story. In fact, uh, was Fisher said after the game, and these quotes, you know, I, I, I was at the game, right, and I, I collected those quotes, and I think a lot of them made it into your, your loose letter. So, so keep your eye out for that, please. But he said that we actually, that Jordan and Becker need to get even better in terms of chemistry and to mm-hmm. work together and that Becker needs to get better attacking the, the second post, something that um, Jordan does quite well, right? And I am referring to him as Jordan because I, I don't know what which last name to use. I'm sorry. Um, it's P for Kosibachu. I just say Jordan from now on. That's on what's on the shirt. But he missed two huge chances in the first half, mm-hmm. uh, second half, right after um, restart. So they could have had four. Right, and I don't know what the XG was on those, but um, I this is one of those things where XG doesn't always m- mix with what's happening in real life. I think maybe to 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 address your point, I think what 
the setup does. It addresses, it's almost an antidote to how Bundesliga teams defend. Not that the defending is bad, but that the defending is set up in a certain way. And Urs Fischer has looked at it and said, oh yeah, if you're putting a guy in there who works extremely hard and another guy was very, very fast and we can mesh that, that is a way we can really hurt teams because of the way the defensive lines press high up. And if you have one guy who gets his hand dirty and, mm-hmm. and presses the defense that's high up, that creates space for another guy who's extremely fast and very good in 1v1 situations. And Fisher's looked at that and it's drawn it up and it's working. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I won't really go into too much details into what's in the newsletter because it's obviously designed for you know subscribers to read it. But the impression I've got of people at the club and speaking to folk who followed Erd Fisher's career in Switzerland before he left was that, you know, he's a very down to earth, very straightforward, very friendly guy who, you know, is very kind of um, hands off in the sense and in terms of he's not like Pep Guardiola or maybe Jurgen Klopp who, you know, demands excellence and really pummels his players full, full of constant torment with, you know, things to do on and off the pitch constantly. Mm. Um, and from what I could, from what I was told, you know, Marcus Hoffman's assistant manager is kind of the tactician in that team who kind of makes yeah. things work. And Fisher's kind of more seen as a more, I, one person described to me, described him to me as almost like a more kind of traditional British manager in the sense that he's kind of the guy who oversees everything. He makes sure the team's kind of philosophy works very well. He makes sure everyone's happy. Uh, and he's just a fantastic man manager to the extent that you know he even lets the players go out for beers in Berlin, which is quite uncommon these days. Oh, wow, that's you know? gutsy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, especially with Max Cruz, it used to be in the team. Um, but considering all sorts, but yeah, and he did that in Switzerland as well. He's known. He actually was known for going for a few beers himself after games and things. So, you know, he's it. It's 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 not really. It's not maybe the best, it's not maybe the most appealing answer as to why things are working, but I think the most obvious one is that he's just a very good man-manager uh, at a club that's doing a good job of replacing players who are sold every summer. You know what he reminds me a little bit of, or who he reminds me a little bit of, and that kind of ethos reminds me a little bit of, is Ranieri at Leicester. Uh, okay, yeah. It feels similar. It's also interesting that you're bringing up Marcus Hoffman because he did mention him in the in the post-match press conference. Um, for people who don't know, those two like to fly fish together. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's apparently where they draw up a lot of the ideas. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Fish, fishing is a great way to just kind of let loose and... Uh relax i mean it's quite similar to um why a lot of people go running is mm-hmm. partly running is a very good technique for if you have writer's block yeah because well you i guess you'll notice with cycling i suppose yep. where if you focus on something very mundane like that the other parts of your brain can just start twizzling away and working on problems almost subconsciously so mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that they kind of come up with a lot of their ideas when they're fishing 
Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that's that's cycling for me. That's where I often you often get messages in the middle of the night from me because I've just come back from a three-hour <laughs> bike ride. And I'm like, we should be doing this on the show. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're you're often very interested in having a conversation about something just when I'm going to bed, and I have to <laughs> I have to politely tell you to fuck off. <laughs> her wife is like in bed being like who are you texting i'm like it's manu she's like okay fair enough (laughs) (laughs) yeah i understand the timing isn't always the best but it's like i I get it like you just have that idea and you just want to get it out before you forget it again right so (laughs) oh absolutely i completely understand it things come to me and i'm like i'm just going to tell this to whoever's listening right now at this point in time So I guess this is how Union Berlin draw up, like bring it back to that. This <laughs> is how Union Berlin, um, it's, it's fly fishing. If you want to know the secret of Union Berlin's success, it's <laughs> it's that. <laughs> I can't imagine there's a huge amount of spots in Berlin for fly fishing. I remember, I think I read somewhere that he sometimes has to go more than two hours out of the city to go fishing. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I know it, they're doing a lot of it in Austria because that's where Hoffman is from, right? Yeah. He maybe introduced him to it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like, uh, I think they've been I think they've been a, a duel since Basel, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. The entire coaching staff has come over from, from Basel. And I think they worked together before him as well. Yeah, possibly, yeah. So it's not surprising at all. Um, but yeah, no, it's going very well. Um, I think we'll probably dive more into this in the in the in the in the bonus show because we have yeah. had a lot of questions about Union Berlin. Uh, but yeah, long may it continue. Mm, uh, before we wrap it up, we should probably address uh, Max Eberl to Leipzig. That's done. It's officially announced. Um, we were both on holidays today. Uh, God save the king and all that. Um, <laughs> As members of the Commonwealth. As members of the Commonwealth. I am in Germany, but uh, my holidays are structured on Canadian holidays, and Justin gave us the day off. Um, so, God save the king. Uh, anyhow, Max Eva got announced today, so that's why you didn't hear very much of it from our Twitter accounts. But we did report that it was pretty much done already on last week's pod. Uh, and now the, the, the ink is dry on the paper. Gladbach will receive two and a half million euros from Leipzig to, to get him out of the contract, which I find that part a little odd because he wasn't paid by Gladbach anymore, right? Mm. So, Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on what we call the UK gardening leave, which means they didn't actually they didn't actually release him from his contract. No, it, that's they exactly just... what happened. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was still an employee of Gladbach with a contract, but he just wasn't in the job anymore. Yeah, he didn't get paid. So he was on the contract, but he did no longer receive payments because he didn't want to receive payments anymore. Oh, right. Okay. But well, because of that construct, Lapach still received the fee. Mm. So it's odd that. But I mean, um, on the other hand, you have now Leipzig, who got destroyed on the weekend by Gladbach. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, but it's a. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because yeah. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work because, you know, obviously Leipzig already have such a regimented, cemented system in place for signing players. So I, I, I wonder if rather than bring him in with his experience of scouting or his experience of even 
upbringing or, or even his experience of you know building squads. I wonder if the key reason they brought him in is because he's such a good front of house character. You know, mm. for so long at Gladbach, he was the face of the club. You know, he was very he's very good with the media. Uh, he obviously has excellent relations with some of the best journalists in Germany. Yeah, v- very likable guy. Um, I've spoke to myself a few times. Very nice guy. He makes time for people. Um, I-, I remember one time in particular, I spoke to him outside Celtic Park when they played Gladbach in the mix zone, um, and I was able to chat to him for a long time actually. When the rest of the journalists were trying to talk to players, I just found him very interesting to talk to, um, and he's a very nice guy, very open-minded. So he does. He's a very, he's very good people person, and I wonder if that's the main appeal for Leipzig to get him in. That obviously the reputation in Germany is basically zero outside of you know the club yeah. and the city itself. But suddenly, if you have someone like him on the TV every weekend before and after games, that him explaining what's going on at the club. It's just a good PR move, I think, more than anything else. Well, he does know the Bundesliga like no one else as well, mm-hmm. right? And he does give give some competencies in in terms of player signing that Minzlaff was doing the job. Um, I think whether he did the job good or not is a different debate. I, I think there's a lot of Leipzig fans out there who would think not. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, when there was this rumor that Minzlaff could go to to Chelsea, a lot of Leipzig fans for please take him, <laughs> which I think is a little harsh as well. Uh, I mean, these things go you can you can rise and fall very quickly in this business, but I do think he knows the Bundesliga quite well. And there's a reasons why Oli Hoeneß, for example, for a long time wanted to have Ebal as his replacement at Bayern Munich. So, is he going to be working under Mitzlaff at RB Leipzig or is he replacing? They, him? No, they have. Um, they're they're in the same rank, but different positions. They're right. both on both on the board. So he's uh, director of sport. So you know how there's a sporting director in yes. German football. There's also direct, like you know this, but people might listen, might not. But like sure. uh, director of sport is indicate. So if you're a sporting director, then you're not on the board. But if you're a director of sport, you're also sitting in on the sport and on uh, other decisions, right? Um, which is when when Hasan Salihamidzic was promoted from sporting director to director of sport because he's now a board member, mm. which gives him a lot more powers, right? And so Ebal will be a director of sport, which makes he makes him sit in with Minzlaff and all the other decisions makers at RB um, on on I guess on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's another thing that I think will be quite interesting because he's obviously used to basically running every aspect of Gladbach, yeah. you know, and. I think that was obviously maybe something that held him back in terms of maybe getting the Bayern job in the in the past. That he would be the guy who'd want to be in control of everything at the club. So I'm just intrigued to see how he fits into that Leipzig structure. I'm not really, as I'm sure listeners know, I'm not really dead against the whole Leipzig thing. I'm not. I understand that why f- rival fans don't like them, but I'm not exactly the mm. kind of guy who's going to be outside the Red Bull Arena with a you know with a placard saying down with RB Leipzig or anything. Quite. I'm just more intrigued to see how he fits into that kind of corporate structure yeah. more more than anything else. But yeah, on on the face of it, it looks like a smart signing. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Marco Rosa is going to navigate this all until Ebal takes charge on December 15th. Hmm. Um, I mean, by all indication is that Marco Rosa was Ebal's guy, but they need results. It's a results-based business. Um 
you know you need results and you need you need to be in the champions league and um, there isn't much time so i wonder if things don't go well could evil's first act be finding a new head coach i mean that'd be quite something (laughs) (laughs) yeah they look pretty hopeless against gladback but i've been saying for a while now gladback look good this season yeah and you know once again another clean sheet you know that's what three in a row Mm. so you know yeah, don't sleep on them. Don't sleep yeah. on Frankfurt either. They want to. Um, yeah, exactly. So there's a few. It's chaos. It's what we want. There's actually, you know, we're almost done with the show and we could probably open up another couple cans of worms to discuss and we'd be sitting here for another two hours mm-hmm. um, because, we, you know, there's a ton going on at the moment. The league is alive. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fantastic. It's been a great, great opening start to league and I'm absolutely gutted that the international breaks here now. Oh, God. But then we get a break, so that's nice. I get to go on a honeymoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, so if you're not subscribing, this is the last time you're hearing Stefan for a good uh, two weeks, no? Ten days? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, and uh, not me either, because I'm going to take a break as well. Uh, so we're not going to have a main show next Monday either. Keep that in mind. Um, or are we? No, it's international break. We don't have anything to discuss. So, mm. no. We have the prediction box, and we'll probably have something behind the paywall. Yeah, we'll have the bonus pod and the preview pod next week. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. On that note, um, this show, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online. And please, if you haven't already, um, take a look at our, our newsletter. Um, there's tons of content. We had bonus content this weekend, too. Uh, my match analysis from the, from the Riviera Derby. And we're going to probably do more of those uh, as we start going back to games. So, so keep your eye on that. Uh, it's not a regular thing, so don't expect it. But we do each provide a post as well um, once a week. And then, of course, a show as well behind the paywall. And then you get this show and the previous show without the ad uh, behind the paywall as well. Anything else you want to add, Stefan? Uh, no, only that I've just noticed that Union Berlin have just retweeted your your your, your article about Jordan and Becker, so that's an interesting Ooh. end to the night. Oh wow, that's a nice yeah. push. Say, thank you, Union. Well, yeah. they were great hosts on the weekend, so not surprised. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's it from us until Wednesday for subscribers. Otherwise, until next week, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.